0: up, everybody? Welcome into another Talk to Me Tuesday night. We're hanging out with To Me with Talk to Me Podcast. This is David from Dead. what is up everybody we are here back live on another tuesday night talk to me live and we got a special guest this week it is mark hunter from chimera and we will be talking about their second release so let's just go ahead and bring him in i know you guys are already waiting for it so bring in mark hunter
1: hey, hey what's going on
0: there what's up mark how we doing
1: all is well i'm actually up a little bit past my bedtime here it's 9 9 p.m i'm so old now i'm usually asleep but i'm glad to be here that's for sure <laughs>
0: Well, I thought it was funny you and I were texting at like eight o'clock this morning, and the fact that we are both texting each other at eight o'clock in the morning is proof that we are in our forties.
1: Oh yeah, I was up at like four thirty, so I'm 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 that old now.
0: <laughs> Already got some comments coming in. If you're watching on YouTube, watching on Facebook, make sure to comment. Uh, Louis says, "What up?
1: Hey, hey, what's going so, on? That's always
0: good. So let's uh, we've got some people watching. Let's go ahead and get a few things out of the way first. And since we are talking about the impossibility of reason," Uh, May thirteenth, two thousand three, is that the date it came out? <laughs> I
1: that like that like you're asking it. this time because last yep. time—well,
0: last time Wikipedia. I just assumed.
1: <laughs> yeah, last time Wikipedia was inaccurate. Um, yes, that is the correct date. So we are on we are on track for success today.
0: Uh, produced by Ben uh, Schiggle. Sh- Shiggle. Shigel, from singer from uh, Switched, correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Got some people coming in. <laughs> he says he's older than us and still up. Robert Cochran.
1: Yeah, I, I still can get it up, Let's too, see. even though I'm old.
0: Louis, <laughs> 10 o'clock is his bedtime for sure. What well, up, Metal up, Moses Damian. from Damian Chambers. Robert's, hey, guys. And... Loved the pass out analysis. This is gonna be great. Well don't put too much stock into it yeah, just yet. A lot so. of pressure.
1: Hopefully, hopefully Good. it'll be I'm great. Okay with it. great. That's a <laughs> lot of that's a tall order.
0: Yeah. This will be all right, man. Well let's uh let's dive into it. Like we said, all right. So the uh producer Ben, how did you know him? Was he just a local guy? I'm assuming was switched.
1: So Ben is an old uh friend. we Man, I've known him. I was actually talking about this the other day uh, with somebody else, but I met him in line for Metallica tickets for the Black Album. So we're going back quite a bit. 91, I want to say. And the way, our, the way our city was set up where we grew up, there were two different junior high schools and he was from the other uh, junior high. So we hadn't all met together yet in high school so we actually met each other in line for Metallica tickets and just had commonalities in in music and metal and he was a musician played drums at the time I was playing drums learning to. and uh, eventually he, he got into producing he was the first person I ever knew that had Recording equipment. He turned his garage into a Studio and we're talking in high school. This is mid 90s. So Really cool stuff and we all had a place to record as young bands and He did a lot of our early demo work and then did our EP called um, Well, I'm blanking that's hilarious this present darkness and uh, so once we did pass out and We had the experience of going into uh, a big professional studio in Los Angeles and having all of this, I guess what you would say, a professional approach in terms of industry standards back then of creating an album where Ben's studio was still in a garage and it was quote unquote local, wasn't as high tech or maybe Um, filled with as much expensive gear as some of these professional places. But we had an energy and we had a familiarity with Ben. Um, And he's kind of like our Mutt Lang, if you will. I've been listening to Def Leppard this week and I'm just picking up on uh, how important Mutt Lang was to Def Leppard's music. And I feel the same way about Ben. Uh, a lot of his song, or excuse me, a lot of his input helped craft how the impossibility of reasons songs would ultimately turn out. He's like a a, a silent writer, if you will.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You talking about Def Leppard? Someone, I guess, you were posting the ABCs of metal or something, and you you were like, Everybody I know wants Deftones," but you threw up Def Leppard. <laughs> so I know you're in a kick.
1: Yeah, man, I'm like, I love I love both bands, but I mean, I can't be, I, I haven't listened to Def Leppard probably since I was like 15, 14 years old, like really like intently <laughs> listening. you know, just hearing songs on the radio is a total different story. But, so it's interesting to go back and check out their progression from, as a band, and, and I think right. producers, especially someone like Mutt Lang or Ben in our case, not every producer is there to help you know, write songs. A lot of times it's just people that were almost glorified engineers where some producers actually sit down with the band and, you know, he was like our Bob Rock, if you will, helping fine tune our songs and make them a little more accessible and more memorable and catchy and, and and all that sort of thing. And I think that is the best you know types of producers. Jay, Jason Sukoff was like that for us as well when we worked with him on Resurrection. Um, but ultimately, you know Ben Ben drank the same the same local water. You know he grew up on the same <laughs> records, and if not, he had a more expansive catalog uh, than we did. So um, you could speak the language to him. You know more so than right. than somebody in LA. You know that we had never met before.
0: All right. So, track one is it? Cleansation. It is. <laughs> there we go. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've been, I've been terrible. I called Ro last week on Armenian when he's like Indian, so I'm, I'm not, uh, not trying to say anything without uh, uh, back facts to back it up. So, cleansation, cleansation. Uh, whose idea was it for track one? Because that's such an important track.
1: Um, I'm usually the guy that helped with the the mastering side of things in terms of sequencing. Um, obviously, we would probably discuss that sort of thing, but it's just the energy that song has. It just felt like an opener, especially with how the drums you know just kind of kick it in and and get you going with the whole uh, buildup. Uh writing it was cool. I remember writing it and everyone had like a little piece to contribute. I can distinctively remember like DeVries writing some of the, the riffs in the beginning and That was just a cool era. That's still an era where every, everyone's jamming together and in a rehearsal studio um, We're not really at a point yet in technology where we're, we're able to rely so much on, on making our own music via a computer so we were still getting together and writing so that whole process uh, for that song was very collaborative, and uh, the word is total nonsense. I made it up, and it's it's uh, funny that some people think that it you know is a real word, um, but to my knowledge, I don't think it's a real word.
0: <laughs> That's very Slayer of you to do, is to uh, to make up your own words. Very
1: um... much so, and I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when we toured or actually talked with you know we had became friends with uh carrie um around this album cycle oh actually at, during pass out but especially during this album cycle he he was real fond of this album and uh i believe he was one of the people that might have said thought it was a real word as well
0: <laughs> i mean most people do why nice. would you
1: think it's not a yeah, real word it seems like a, you know? okay, exactly. it exactly seems like one
0: uh, I am noticing if you're w- watching on my personal Facebook page, I'm not seeing it on the uh, comment section up here. So make sure to head over to the Talk To Me Facebook page or the uh, Talk To Me YouTube channel if you want to join in on the comment section. All right. And then um, back and then back to the album track two is the Impossibility of Reason title track. Uh, it, on the Wikipedia, it also said it was a single, but there was no video. Was there a reason behind that?
1: I don't believe it was a single. If it was, then... I don't remember it being one. Uh, I think that might, that could be some more of that uh WikiLeaks fake news um that you're so fond of when you do these these interviews with me. I'm just kidding. Um yeah, no, that wasn't a single to my knowledge, but maybe. No, no, it wasn't. Down again, power trip, and pure hatred, I believe, were the singles. Yeah, those
0: all three have videos, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The- okay. we- yeah, no.
1: You know what, you know, I'm sorry. What what you might be thinking is uh didn't we have a single? No, never mind. What am I, we had a sampler that we gave out to radio stations, but that was called oh, the New know. Wave of American Heavy Metal Sampler, not not a possibility reason. Wikipedia lies, as always. Can't trust it. You
0: know, I heard you say that again the other day about about you coining the phrase new wave of American heavy metal. And the Kamara should be more credited with that. And I thought it was actually going to get picked up a lot more than it did. And I don't think anybody touched it in the, uh, in the, in the, I don't think anybody cares. World, but, uh, you know, for, that's a pretty,
1: I don't think anybody cares. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. We did it during the pass out era. We had a t shirt. We were our, our sound guy at the time, uh, Wedge, he was a big Iron Maiden fan. And before we would play every oh, night, Wedge. He, we would play, uh, be playing Iron Maiden over the loudspeakers. And so we just started, you know, uh, making t-shirt ideas like, oh, let's use the Iron Maiden font. What does our, you know, name look like there? And then well, let's just change it to New Wave of American Heavy Metal instead of New Wave of British Heavy Metal and just kind of having fun. And then that, that caught on. And I remember, like, um, getting New Wave of British Heavy Metal albums when i was younger and it actually set it on some of those albums you know they're like letting you know there was like a brand almost so when we released the cd single to um the press uh, and radio stations and this was just kind of like the first few songs that they could play uh, before the album was released um it was called the new wave of american heavy metal sampler and um to my knowledge, I mean, unless someone can prove us wrong, like, I don't believe that phrase exists before that t shirt in 2001 or 2002, 2002.
0: And the one thing about these first two tracks, like, we haven't really delved into the musical side of it or even the, the lyrical content, but you know, just out the gate, you know, it's got that Chimera vibe. You know, it's just like the, there's a riff and the sound that Chimera has that these two tracks just uh exude i guess for lack of a better word and uh you know it was it's like that that new wave of american heavy metal that what it became but but also kind of a little bit of the hearkening back to the groove metal new metal stuff that you guys did and kind of a good uh combination of the two i believe
1: yeah i believe that um our decision to tune up uh helped showcase our our riffs a bit differently and better and clearer so that that was um you know one of those pivotal things that helped change our sound into uh something different but it it's still us at the end of the day so we're still going to write those groove type riffs it was just i think a little more audible and um recorded in a different way to be a little bit more abrasive and thrashy more metallic i remember um, in being influenced by, you know, the Colin Richardson sounding albums like Carcass Heartwork and uh, the first amazing two machine records and
0: amazing albums. <laughs>
1: those were definitely referenced, you know, um, by us for what we we're going through. Also at the Gates, um, Slaughter of the Soul, that guitar tone. We'd actually I remember hearing uh, through the grapevine, like how, the Swedish bands uh, put other knobs and we were trying to do all that stuff the same way and mic it the same way to get though that real uh, nasty Swedish metal sound uh, was something we were channeling a little bit as well. But then we got to work with Colin Richardson on that, on this album. So, um, you know, total like dream come true in terms of like production and, and, somebody that made albums sound the way you know we wanted to sound.
0: Now, prior to us jumping on this, I was kind of going down the YouTube rabbit hole and you were talking about, you know, this kind of being one of those things where you guys got in a room and jammed out and the room that you guys jammed out was like eight by eight, maybe. You know, it was, it was a very small practice space and those definitely harken back to the uh, quote unquote good old days.
1: Yeah, and it was upstairs. I remember we had to... Use this rickety elevator to get all the the gear up, and you know one of those like lifts. <laughs> As you're standing on it, the whole thing is wobbling. And then, um, <laughs> hey, Justin Clark, yes, we were using 5150s on that album, um, and the steps too were wooden and rickety and just. Uh, still. We definitely lived in lived in the ghetto for a, a long time. <laughs> with the band. I think most bands do, you know, it's not like oh, yeah. rehearsal spaces aren't something you find in like the, the suburbs usually.
0: Good. Uh, Damien here, Rob just gave up your old practice space. Sad face.
1: I saw that. Yeah. I, that's one of those things that thanks to the modern times of that we're living in with the uh, COVID situation, He obviously had to adapt to that situation having kids at home and his job being, you know, basically living in his studio and working on all the content that he does. So uh, it's a bummer, you know, because we've been there for such a long time and have the room that you're referencing in, in the dehumanizing process is just literally upstairs from where we were. So we've been there wow. for close to 20 years.
0: Oh, wow. The, um, the next, uh, track on the album pictures in the gold room and the riff up top is just an amazingly riff, you know, and you, and you talked about, you know, a lot of these songs having stories behind them and stories intertwined within them. Um, you know, what's a, what's a good story with picture pictures in the gold room.
1: Uh, that's definitely uh, just. I love that riff too. We we use that. Um, we opened our our last reunion show using that song, and it just had that cool vibe where, you know, the the intro just cuts out, the music's black, and you hear that first riff, and the whole place erupted. It was a great, great way to come back. And lyrically, you know, uh, dark room opens, no light for years. So that's kind of cool way to say hello again to the crowd. But uh, the song itself is is about The Shining, um, Stanley Kubrick's version in the movie. And um, that's uh, the lyrical content is everything to do with that. And the samples that were used for that, uh, if you've seen the dehumanizing process, you're probably aware of this, but um, for those that aren't, you know, all the samples and sounds that Chris uh, Spacuza plays during that song are Uh, taken from that movie and manipulated, but you can hear like, if you really put it in the headphones and hone in on all the sounds, you can hear familiarities.
0: Yeah, it's definitely uh, an amazing record so far. And then obviously into the next song, which is Power Trip. There's a video for this one. And uh, like I texted you earlier, man, you got to bring back the dreads, man.
1: (laughs) I wish you knew how many people have asked me where are the dreads or how did I cut the dreads still to this day? Uh, now what it's been 15 years, but yeah, man, they look great for, for that's sweet that you can do this. Um, they look great for head banging and metal, right? Like, like, oh, yeah, one of those unfuck with looks, you know, are you allowed to square <laughs> out here?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. You're good.
1: Um, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, so shooting this video, was a little bit of a challenge we we so two things i got to clear something up because man this is so stupid people ask this question all the time but the sample (laughs) in the beginning of the song they always like man does this say white power in that song (laughs) like first first off why would it (laughs) you're like yeah man like hell yeah dude you know white power love that shit no uh it's actually the there was radio interference like sometimes I'm sure you you know a musician yourself you've heard it where like all of yeah. a sudden pickups are ca- catching some frequency radio uh cb channel or something and um we were we were like picking up some it sounds like a christian radio channel or show and he's saying uh he stepped out of that garden and let me tell you this he had god like power oh there we so go so that's uh the phrase that's being uttered. Uh, a lot of people always ask that. So it's kind of funny, but um, so anyway, the recording this video was a bit of a challenge. We were on the Slipknot tour and we were in San Francisco and it's not an easy town to just like, yeah, I'm going to go down the street and, you know, shoot a video. This is, you're talking logistical nightmare. And we had to get all of our gear and ourselves into this warehouse and record this video. I want to say we're jamming and headbanging at like 7 a.m. hungover. <laughs> this is the worst possible conditions to be shooting a video in ever. Um, we shot two videos in this air in the San Francisco area, uh, pretty much back to back. This one and Pure Hatred. And um, this was filmed. Uh, man, I wish you could tell me who the director was. It's been so long, but this was one of his first videos, and he did it for free and it was kind of like a film school project maybe. Um, but it was just yeah, was such a logistical nightmare. Being on tour and having to like move your gear to a video shoot and then get the gear back to the venue. And we're in San Francisco it was an early show where sort of like doors are at like three or four, something so <laughs> stupid. Like you couldn't have had worse conditions to make this video. But it came out cool, especially for being free, you know. I mean we didn't pay for it and uh the the guy that directed it was just a fan so that's really cool
0: I feel like the Metallica ride the lightning shirt is like a constant with throughout the uh chimera or the early chimera days
1: Yeah that was Rob's thing uh big time and <laughs> and
0: there you go Rob with that ride the lightning shirt <laughs> Yeah yeah
1: he that was like kind of his signature shirt on stage for for a couple of years almost uh, I want to say I remember getting one of them getting stolen at Ozfest like our stage clothes got stolen, right? You know, Ooh. you're familiar with playing. Yeah. You know, playing. Terrible. But for fans that don't know, you know, after the band is done playing and you're on a tour like Oswest, what do you do with your clothes? They're soaked. So, you know, you usually hang them outside and sometimes you're hanging them off the bus and, you know, it's 100 degrees out. So the clothes can dry a lot quicker. But yeah, one day we had like, we came back and all of our stage clothes were gone. Like, man. So somebody's. <laughs> somebody has got my camo pants out there and venom t-shirt and someone's got Rob's Metallica ride the lightning shirt. Oh wow. That,
0: that'll be on eBay tomorrow. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'll buy him back, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, Lewis is correct here. This, this comment about Rob having Metallica guitar picks. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he has a whole collection of guitar picks with, uh, the Metallica content on there.
0: Nice. I found a, uh, last time I saw Metallica, when I was walking out, there was like a, a Metallica White Fang guitar pick. Like, I could barely see it, and I grabbed it, looked online. They're actually a little bit more rare than the, you know, just normal picks James throws out. So I was like, all right.
1: Oh, all right. nice. Did I tell you my Metallica show story last time? Was that your podcast? or I don't know who I tell stuff to, but anyway, just I'm not going to make this a long story. It's just hilarious. That was the last show I've been to, and that was, what, January of 2019? oh wow so but i remember like just being so excited because i had the best parking situation one could ever hope for
0: <laughs> that's when you know you're old is when you're excited about the parking Man, i'm still
1: excited about it like w- we're fortunate enough to know they're like guys so you know uh f- free entrance and and great seats and so i found this like perfect valet situation it was literally like i couldn't have felt more like uh, a rock star when I'm not clearly not at this day and age. Uh, it's just, are right, yeah, here I put my car here, just walk right into it. That's this not what floor, you're. Walk you're right down to. and boom, I'm there on, <laughs> uh, on the floor. It was, I felt like a king, so pretty cool. But great live band anyway. Derailed. Yeah, last Sorry, show. Your podcast. Last show
0: I saw with him. With, uh, no, you're good, man. That's, that's what podcasts are for. Last show I saw, Rob from Nonpoint hooked me up with their like head of security, and he was like just text this guy and he showed me where to go and i was by myself i walk in homeboy gives me a hug like we've known each other for years he's like it's great to see you i'm like oh my god we're best friends he handed me like a handful of uh you know picks and things like that not the white fang pick but just a handful of picks gave me like a a, a, uh, a wristband so i could go anywhere in the uh in the venue and i was like hell yeah basically walked right in Walked right up, and James is like, you know, two two people from me for half the show. It was awesome.
1: That's awesome.
0: What's your next musical project? We got Mister Basil. Basil says here,
1: I don't have one. <laughs>
0: or is he asking me? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Yeah, who's he asking? <laughs> no, uh,
0: Dabs on a bus in Akron. I'm assuming that's some insider <laughs> stuff.
1: Dabs on many bu- on bus in many cities. That's happened. <laughs> we've we've crippled quite a few people couch locked them like permanently
0: <laughs> oh goodness uh some facts on this album this album debuted 117 on billboard that's a that's a feat back in the day
1: it was and i saw that too this morning and i was thinking to myself whoa we charted <laughs> our second album that's pretty cool
0: yeah i mean it was a big deal back then and 100%, yeah, and yeah,
1: absolutely. It sold <laughs> It sold well right off the bat. And um, yeah, we it, we were on our way, right? Where Pass Out was kind of a struggle uh, with touring and not doing as, as well as we had hoped. Um, once Impossibility of Reason was released, like things started going on an upward trajectory.
0: You're going to answer that Metallica or Megadeth?
1: Man, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm Metallica all day. I uh, definitely appreciate Megadeth but it, aside from uh, Rust in Peace I'm not very much a connoisseur of theirs.
0: Great album. Brandon Lyons has Discovered Chimera on Farm Love back in the day still one of my favorite metal bands of all time.
1: Appreciate that, Brandon and I love still hearing that. That's like we talked about on your last podcast how Every day. Somebody, <laughs> Every day. Here it is. All right. Somebody has, seen, has discovered us from Farm Club. It sounds really All right. cool. So
0: up next, we've got Down Again, also has a video. And one of the earlier songs on here that uh, involves some clean singing.
1: Yeah. So making that video w- was um, pretty cool. We worked with uh, PR Brown, and he was like known for Marilyn Manson stuff at the time. <laughs> and the video did not turn out as we had hoped, because if you see all that white stuff we're in, it's, it's gauze and it's one of the lighting, uh, one of the help people helping on the set actually tripped over the lights and it sparked, And the whole set caught on fire, like <laughs> during take two, something oh, ridiculous wow. like that. So all the ideas we had for the video were just pretty much thrown out the window. And we salvaged what we could to make, make this video. Um, but it it was definitely supposed to be something completely different. Uh, another thing that was awesome about that moment was because of the fire, there was a movie filming next door and it forced that entire cast out and uh, outside with us. And we got to meet, uh, James Gandolfini, uh, AKA Tony Soprano. He, He was outside and, uh, They were filming, I believe it's called Surviving Christmas. That's the name of the movie. And um, they were filming that. And so we got to talk to him and get our picture with him and all of that. And, yeah, with the clean vocals um, and this song in general, this is definitely, you know, actually Power Trip as well. uh, Those are two songs I could definitely point at where, where Ben had a lot of help in production and crafting those songs. Power Trip didn't sound anything like it does. In the final version in the demo completely reworked in the studio and down again was was completely enhanced and bettered as well uh, from the original demo version um obviously i like alice in chains if you've ever heard this song <laughs>
0: <laughs> right
1: same, same with pictures i was actually listening to alice in chains uh, a couple of weeks ago and i noticed i always forget sunshine and I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally sounds like pictures in the gold in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a challenge, um, to sing this song and live. I could never really pull it off. Uh, I, I sucked at it. I never get in a fight with Rob about it on tour. Uh, just, I, not, I just don't, he's like, I can't hear it. you know, when you go to sing it live and I should just know it. And, uh, it wasn't until a lot later where I finally felt comfortable singing the song. I'd always like butcher it though. Back in the day, it, it, it's a lot easier to scream. It's a lot easier to sing in a controlled situation than it is live. Like some singers just have it, you know, they can yeah. switch back and forth. I don't believe I'm one of those dudes. Uh, so it was always required a lot of effort and practice on my part to continuously get better, you know, to do it live.
0: Yeah, and the, um, how many of these songs on this album do you, th- do you, re- do you think that were from the uh, pass out of existence, uh, kind of leftovers, anything left over from the first album?
1: No, I don't believe there was. I believe we started writing, not, you know, not too far off. I think we were like on tour for Passed Out towards the end of that cycle where we started like coming up with some of the ideas. Like, during the, the during the tour cycles um we'll get to it when we hit stig murder but that was like the first song written for the album and um so i don't recall anything being left over i don't believe that happened
0: heather s you're asking was it your idea for the clean vocals hey heather
1: i don't recall <laughs> i mean maybe but i think that If, if ever there was a part like that where I wanted to do clean vocals, I definitely reached out for help in terms of like, how should I go about this melody? You know, how, how do I make it sound good? And that's where like Ben probably would have helped craft that if I, there's no way I came up with that in, in the first go around later in life. Yeah. I could maybe come up with a part like that, but that's definitely helped.
0: Was this a thing where you guys toured off of the first album for a little while. And then when you go to do the second album, you know what to, you know what you want to put out there because you know how the crowd reacts to things like this?
1: Yes and no. I think, I I believe just our biggest frustration was, you know, some of the reviewers, at least my, speaking from me, from my personal uh, opinion, some of the reviews we got on that album for Pass Out, like it's like they just didn't understand what we were about or what we were trying to convey. Maybe we didn't articulate it well enough. And, um, so that gave us a little more fire than anything. And, um, the conscious efforts to change were mainly in the, in the tuning and just a feeling that like, man, we're getting called new metal, new metal really wasn't a bad word when we were starting, but by the time we were ending that cycle, it was just a worse and worse word. And we wanted to be as far away from from that as possible, um, because yeah, like we like I think we talked about this on the last podcast. We like bands like Corn, but we also liked Slayer and Deicide, so we were kind of channeling more of that than we were the the Corns of the world. We were, uh, you know, still obviously using electronics and keyboards and stuff like that, which it was funny because as we're transitioning into playing with metalcore bands and starting this new wave of American heavy metal movement, the label it, it, as well as some other folks were like concerned that we had Chris in the band, like because, Oh, people are going to think he's a DJ and you guys are going on tour with Lamb of God. And they're this new metal band. That's not new and new, but like right. newer metal band that. Their crowd wasn't going to understand a DJ like he's not a DJ. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it, but I remember that being like kind of an issue um, from the label side of things. And, and I don't think management, but who knows at this point. Um, But yeah, we, we had to fight just a little bit to like really have our voices heard that keys were essential to our sound and samples and that was not a new metal side of us that was an industrial side of us right we were coming from the nine inch nails world world not the dj from limp biscuit world
0: (laughs) yeah they star damien here says chimera was the metallica of my generation
1: Appreciate that and I, it's too bad. You didn't grow up with the Metallica of your generation because they were <laughs> a lot better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Um, let's go ahead and get into uh, pure hatred. Also, another video here.
1: Oh, this is a good story about this video. Bring it. <laughs> That's sweet. All those shots are in our trailer. And the lighting were Jagermeister, like little flashlights that they had, like promo (laughs) flashlights.
0: Yeah, Jagermeister was a big deal at that time,
1: wasn't it? Though, and it couldn't look more ghetto, right? Like, or it doesn't look ghetto, but I mean, we couldn't have done it more ghetto. Um, That show was in San Francisco at the Pound, and it was outdoors. It was on the In Flames tour. Nice. Now that day,
0: I played the Pound. What's that? I played the Pound
1: cool place right it, like it That's has cool. like, total history behind it yeah um todd bell did this video for us and he he was filming for our dvd the dehumanizing process so he had a lot of footage he could he can through was able to throw into this and then the rest of it was at a live show in, in san francisco and and then these shots like here with jim and stuff you slow it down you could totally tell we're we're in the trailer of our bus <laughs> where, our, where our gear was nice and um but anyway, the funny story is that day, do you know Neil M. Sang, the photographer? I mean, I don't, he seems I don't to know really, everybody. But anyway, yeah. uh, at the time, he worked at ILM and was working on the new Star Wars movie at the time, which would have been episode three. Okay. And um, he took me and Anders and bjorn and a couple of the other guys from in flames to skywalker ranch oh wow so we're sitting there all day getting you know having the coolest day ever and you know i'm seeing all this like badass memorabilia from indiana jones and star wars and et basically anything uh not et but uh anything lucasfilm associated uh and uh then all of a sudden we we're like, oh, we gotta get back to the show. And again, we're in San Francisco, so for some reason it's an early night, and we get stuck in the worst traffic ever. And it, it's one of those things where, like, I think Earth was opening the tour, and I'm like, remember being on the phone, like, tell them to keep playing. <laughs> it's one of those things where they had to play like a way longer <laughs> set. Then we had to like really draw out the set change. And just like a movie, man, the van, you know, races up, pulls up. I jump out of the thing and jump right on stage like 30 minutes late to the show nice. and oh, just totally ruin the show uh, for our fans. So I could go look at Star Wars costumes. So I'm really sorry to the fans of San Francisco. <laughs> 18 Was years right later, 17, but that's what happened
0: that would have been the night they opened with uh, implements of destruction.
1: <laughs> yeah, it should have been. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we will get to that. You know, it's funny the one time we played there, we were going not across the Golden Gate Bridge, but we were going another one of the random bridges over there and uh the 49ers were playing Monday Night Football that night and Raiders fans and Niners fans, they all had their windows down and they were just screaming at each other like you suck, no you suck. You know, it was it was one of the more Favorite football moments I had on tour, yeah. It's <laughs> just like yeah.
1: that's a wild area, like they don't mess around,
0: yeah. That would be the uh, we my wife and I flew out for Mr. Bungle back in February, like right at the very start of all this uh coronavirus uh stuff. And like we get out there, and it was yeah, it was it was crazy. We got to go to the uh, Warfield, to see Mr. Bungle, Dave Lombardo on drums, Scotty wow. on guitar. It was it was a lot of fun, man. We stayed out there for about uh, two or three days, good times. But yeah, and then that's the last thing we got to do this year. Yeah. I
1: can't believe it was August already. I haven't left, I know, really, right? really left the house since <laughs> February.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, how has this affected you? I mean, obviously with the photography and stuff.
1: Well, it's definitely hurt my ph- the photography side of what I do in life um, for the professional stuff because weddings were pushed back or canceled. Um, and businesses being closed they're not spending as much money um so um thankfully i was able to get the ppp loan for that and that helped out so not too i hate to say i'm not really that affected because there are so many people that are it could be way worse but i definitely was hurting for like 11 weeks that i had to go without getting paid anything so that sucked
0: yeah, it's been a mess. I think I'm not allowed to play videos on this because I think it keeps kicking us off YouTube.
1: <laughs> Copyright <laughs> strikes. Thanks, Roadrunner, uh, Warner, yeah. Warner, whoever you are now.
0: Yeah. Hey, they're looking out for the best interest of you. Okay.
1: I know. They, they, we really need that extra point zero 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 four cents. <laughs> so zero 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 four. I'm not sure.
0: I love the other morning. I I sent you a picture of a, a guy with a chimera sticker on his car. And you're like, yeah, we never made stickers. And I was like, I'll run them off the road next time I see them.
1: Definitely. So I was thinking about that. There was this guy, I'm assuming, I don't know why, but um, they were selling Chimera stickers on YouTube probably since 2002, 2003, like big ones for your car. Nice. And we never, you know, went after the person or, try to put a send a cease and desist or anything right. like that we were like hoping like, Hey, it would be, um, <laughs> stop showing the videos.
0: Yeah. There we go.
1: But anyway, um, we were hoping that they would send us one at least. Right. You know? So if this per that person that made those stickers that is probably still making them 18 <laughs> years later. Is that the flux capacitor behind you?
0: Yeah. It's, a a gift my my wife got me for my uh it's for father's day it's my three kids birthdays so in the in the
1: don't i'm so sorry for the add there but yeah i can just see things like that and it catches my eye yeah look squirrel
0: yeah it's cool it lights up you know so my daughter and then my two kids my two sons whatever under it so it's good stuff
1: what were we talking about I got uh, totally detected uh, by uh, stickers on cars. Oh, yeah, stickers, yeah. Anyway, if that person's watching, please send send us some. That'd be awesome.
0: Because <laughs> you owe us at least twelve fifty. It was funny. Some guy in the comment section on something you posted today was uh, talking about how he ripped like the entire album off of Napster. <laughs> Just like
1: well, that's a great story in itself too. We knew it was gonna leak, right? So that's yeah. the era of albums leaking, and so we did a voiceover hours so when it leaked everyone heard it and in and, and a couple times in each song you'd hear uh someone from our roadrunner his name was bob johnson he said chimera the impossibility of reason in stores this may and it was just like boom <laughs> right in the middle of a breakdown uh so we knew it was going to leak and that was kind of our little troll back to those that were stealing it
0: if you could travel back to any album cycle, which would it be from the star Damien?
1: So it's kind of a weird in between. So ending of actually that whole resurrection cycle through recording and some of the touring of Infection, that like era. Nice. We were definitely the happiest. That was the most fruitful in terms of finances. Uh, we got on some amazing tours, some of the biggest shows we ever played. And then it all went downhill.
0: So this is kind of the, uh, I guess, the pass out of existence into this era. You're starting to go through band members. Uh, you know, Matt's joining the band and then Andels leaves. And then a the dude with the last name of Evanson comes mm-hmm. in for a minute. And then Kevin Talley comes in. Uh, talk about the drum situation, I guess. Through that yeah, what band. a nightmare,
1: right? Well, so Matt being in the band is a little bit easier of a story to explain. Our original guitarist, Jason Hagar, left shortly after the release of Pass Out of Existence, uh, because he and his partner at the time had a child. So he didn't want to be on tour, especially making a brand new touring band salary. So he left the band and Matt replaced him. And we had known Matt, they were good friends. So, you know, there was nothing, That was just a, nothing odd about that one. Andals uh, just had a I guess like a confidence issue would be the only thing I can think of, and just a life issue, and didn't, wasn't really happy doing what he was doing. So it kind of set us back because it was in the middle of, you know, our, our upward trajectory. So um, we were fortunate to be able to utilize Ricky Evanson, and we knew him from the tour within Flames. He was the drummer for Soil Work, and he was their fill in drummer. They had lost their drummer. So we had tours coming up and commitments to fulfill with no drummer. And Ricky was a guy sitting there that was on tour with us, that wanted to do it. And we knew he had the ability to do it. So it was kind of a no brainer for us, but what we weren't realizing was this guy's from Sweden. What the hell are we doing? He doesn't have work permits. He doesn't live here. We don't have a place for him to live. Like we weren't thinking at all. So that just didn't last very long, uh, and personalities clash, right? You know, these European, they have their ways. We're American. We have our ways. It's just a fish out of water syndrome for him mainly, um, being in our, in our camp. So it didn't work out that well. Kevin, we didn't know personally, but Kerry King had recommended him because of the tryout that Kevin had with Slayer and Kevin was really highly considered for the potential role of being Slayer's drummer. So we were like, okay. And we had heard that Kevin had this ability to play really fast double bass, which we wanted to start going into more experimental, fast, faster types of speeds with the feet and everything. So we were definitely interested in that. And you could learn songs really quick. I remember when he came in, um, Ricky was way more uh, impromptu drummer, so if you listen to some of the recordings with him, or if you watch the DVD with him, I loved it. It's very free form. You never knew what you were gonna get each night. It was whoa! Did you hear that, Phil? You know, and I like that type of energy when it, it's not exactly the same as the album but when uh kevin came into the mix he had the sound that it was supposed to have and it kind of locked us back in together again of uh what the band was intended to sound like and there's certain accents that drummers should be hitting a certain way that's the way they were intended like with the riff to match the riff and and kevin really paid attention to that sort of detail and i know rob appreciated that because ricky being impromptu it could throw off the the dynamic of what was initially intended here and there so um kevin was definitely a welcome musician but we clashed with him a little bit on personality at least chris and i did but he was like the root and toot and loud texas guy and we're like nerdy introverts from cleveland uh, It's the odd couple.
0: You know? Nice, No, I get it, man. I, I've definitely been in the bringing in new band member situation, and you know, being a new band member situation. So it's it's never fun, and it's always there's always a sadness when it comes down to you're not the same five dudes that started the band. You know, it's always it's always a sad time when it starts kind of almost becoming like a business. It's where you need to keep it rolling, so you got to keep bringing more people in.
1: Yeah, we were having such a great. Run, you know, we're hitting OzFest, we're having big tours and flames, and we had all these commitments, Machine Head, and, you know, we we could we didn't have time to really think about what we were doing. We just had to go for it. I'm realizing this drink is making me look like I put lipstick on. I don't know if it's my camera showing up on your end, but at least on my end it does, so I'm enjoying uh, it. A
0: little rouge, maybe, is what you need.
1: Yeah, I'll try it.
0: all right let's dive back into the record the next uh, song is the the dehumanizing process one of the best intros ever with the explode there at the beginning i love it
1: right yeah so that's that's the metal moses song and the, the the birth of that whole uh thing that's a that was another one i remember writing in the rehearsal space together i remember matt DeVries coming up with a lot of those riffs and um just one of those ones you just knew immediately oh that's that's heavy that feels good it feels right, and um, yeah, that's that song is a staple live because there were like two or three parts you could have a great crowd interaction, jumping, and then, of course, the wall of death in the beginning, and uh, screaming, and just chaos for that song always.
0: That's a good one, man. And then the uh, the next song, Crawl?
1: That's kind of the oddball of, of it the is an oddball. odd one. Yeah. So that was one where we liked the music a lot. I remember coming, trying to do vocals for it. And it just didn't sound good screaming. Like it couldn't come up with anything guttural. It just the, the riffs don't have that vibe to it at all. So that was one that we spent a lot of time with reworking my parts in the studio to like actually make them a song. And I like the song personally, but it's not something that I think we could ever translate live until maybe now, right? Like back in that era, playing that song, like trying to open up for <laughs> some of the bands. Like, yeah, man, we need, you know, you get like 20 minutes. We just need to murder the crowd. We don't have time to to play our uh, quote unquote ballad of the album, if you <laughs> want to call it that. Right. But it, it's, it's in that vein, you know, it's it's more melodic, it's more more of the Alice and Chainsy vibe that we're big fans of, and that really shined through on that one.
0: And that kind of goes right into what I have here, it's kind of going into a little bit of the touring around this album, and that would be like OzFest 2003, you guys went to Japan and Australia for the first times, Yeah, did some shows with Inflame, Soilwork, and Unearth, an Earth, like we talked about, and then it also says uh, Spine Shank and El Nino, so... Kind of, kind of, bridging the gap there from that new metal era too.
1: Yeah, so that that was in Europe, and those bands were massive in Europe at the time. We were playing huge shows, and we were definitely um, competitive with El Nino. Still, like you know, we were competitive with them from pass out of existence. If you know, like sports competitors. Of course, there's a couple dick moves here and there that either one of us could have played and and did but for the most part it was friendly like man we're both fighting for the same thing right so um and they were a hard band to follow or so we try if if they were following us we try to make it impossible to follow so that's you know in my opinion that's good competition um so but they, they they still had that a huge uh, fans in, in Europe. I mean, those shows were like three, 4,000 people, some of them. So it was a huge opportunity for us to break out into that territory because they put us in front of so many people and they had radio success with, with those bands, especially over in Europe. So we could play songs like down again and it'd work. Whereas if we try to play that shit with lamb, God, you know, three, I don't know. wasn't working as much.
0: So we talk about Ozfest 2003. You got Ozzy Corn, Manson, Disturbed, Chevelle, Cradle of Filth, Voivod. So this was what this is the uh, Jason Newstead Ozzy tour.
1: It is, yeah. Yeah. He was on tour with us, which was awesome. He had a little Chihuahua out with him. I remember. (laughs) Yeah, he was cool as hell. He was he was super nice to himself most of the time. Yeah, you you hardly saw him as, as wasn't out as much as a lot of the other people, but and that was. Best tour ever uh for us back then. It was like a dream come true, especially since it we we kind of came in halfway. We weren't initially offered it, and we got a late offering and only able to do the half half of the tour. Excuse me, the second half, but man, that was the shit for us. It was like kind of a surprise. And we're like, go, Our, oh my god, you know, we don't have to pay the sixty thousand dollars to get on. Nope. <laughs> Just go and tour we don't get paid anything, but just go. All right, whatever. And, um, we went out and crushed it. Um, that was another great tour to have competition with. We were competing with mainly with like shadows fall and kill switch. And because of the rotation every day, you almost wanted to play before those bands because (laughs) where the crowd out or use all the tricks. tricks, Right. And then like, that shit would happen to you though. Then the next day, it's like, God damn it. Now I got to come up with a whole new spiel because Brian from shadows fall just said everything I was going to say. <laughs> he saw me do it yesterday. Uh, and you know, vice versa. I'm like, well, I know what he's going to do. So I'm going to pull that move before him next time. Um, again, all friendly stuff. The funniest thing to, to us was, uh, cradle of filth, obviously cool band. And, you know, they have this, aura about them and the black metal and you know they're all like evil and it's just hilarious because they're outside for one which <laughs> makes that hilarious yeah and then two in between ba- song banter like the bands a lot of new metal bands on there so if you can just imagine uh, danny filth giving shout outs like yes we want to give a shout out to endo <laughs> I mean, just, like, this is the craziest <laughs> thing i've ever heard in my life shouting out all these new metal bands in the middle of the day in corpse paint. But anyway, that was Ozfest. Uh corn destroys every night. Like every time we've ever toured with them, that band is right. just unbelievably
0: so did you do like the Columbus, Ohio date?
1: Yes we did. Mm-hmm.
0: And so was that like a kind of a close enough to home show, you know, to where people came out?
1: It was, yeah. Family got to come out to that show and see us. And man yeah, there's probably few thousand out there in the parking lot that day for us so it it definitely felt cool because again you know we're we're still a band at that point used to playing you know at the most a 1500 seat cedar if we're lucky right opening for somebody maybe slayer the biggest shows we played with you know they a couple four thousand seaters cedars on that one but other than that you know we're used to playing like you know, the pound in San Francisco, man, like <laughs> we were just talking about it and yeah. inside it holds maybe what, 350, 400, something like that.
0: Yeah. Another great band on that tour would be nothing face. Love, those yeah. Love that band. Um, you know, it's funny. 2003 is kind of a time where I look back on it and, you know, we talk about this, you know, the new metal into the the new wave of American heavy metal movement with the, a lot of the new ha- you know, the new England bands, um, you know, getting to tour with unearth at that time, unearth was one of those bands, that when a friend of mine was like, check this band out, and they played me the Oncoming Storm for the first time, I was like, oh, shit, you know, this guitar solo is back. You know, Mm -hmm. it it was okay to be heavy again. It was okay to headbang again like you guys were doing. And, you know, wear your Metallica shirts loud and proud. You know, it was Jinkos and, and, you know, earth tone colors were kind of going away and, you know, black was coming back.
1: Yeah, definitely was preferred in my opinion. (laughs)
0: yeah me too but yeah looking back i was like man i wish i could have just moved ahead to that period of time uh the next song on the album mystic murder nice little play on words there
1: yeah thank you um yeah that was uh i did it twice on this album repentless you know word making up um that was the first song written for the album and if i'm if memory serves me correctly rob actually wrote that song initially in in the drop a tuning that we were doing for pass out and then we finally switched it to drop c i could be wrong but i don't know for some reason i'm thinking that's how it was
0: yeah i've got a and the notes here has got a very pass out vibe could be an old song and obviously the you can't fuck with me part you can never go wrong with a good you can't fuck with me
1: yeah, I forgot about that actually. It's been so long. Jim Lamarca, our bass player, hates that song. He hates playing <laughs> anything that's a little too technical. Okay. You know, anything he can't just go whole oh, oh, one, oh, oh, one. Right. I that might be a bit too. Oh, one, oh, but anyway, one. Oh,
0: cool.
1: uh, yeah, he hated that song. I always roll his eyes or throw a fit I'm like, oh, that song sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy song to play on guitar. Actually, I. I I have a cameo now and someone requested that um, a cameo count. Someone requested I sing that song to them, but uh, I live in like a condo and there's somebody else below me. So <laughs> if I were to do that, they would think that, you know, there's murder going on. So I was like, I'll try to play, play the song on guitar for him. And I just never played it before in my life and just went for it. And that it's not easy. So
0: <laughs> Nice. Well, plug your cameo. What do you, what do you do with your cameo there?
1: Also cameo is cool. It's like, you, you can request like birthday shout outs or, um, motivational talks. So a lot of people ask me to, you know, send them a happy or their buddy a happy birthday or an anniversary. Um, I've done a lot of roasts. Those are always fun, uh, where I got to pick on somebody's buddy, you know, or, or, uh, People, bands wanting advice, you know, give us a pep talk, you know, being locked in, in quarantine, stuff like that. And so I think it's cool. Instead of like a birthday card, you can have somebody that you're a fan of uh, tell you happy birthday anyway, like Flavor Flav's on there, right? Like how oh, cool right. would that be if you woke up on your birthday and Flavor Flav was wishing you happy birthday? I'm not as cool as Flavor Flav, but I'll wear a clock for you if you want to want me to.
0: I'm trying to see if I can pull it up while we're talking here. I've got a cool cameo that I, there's a few that I've grabbed. Um, let's see if we can do this here. Share screen. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I can't hear if he's saying anything. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you can't hear it. I don't know. Good, good Gary Holt. Yeah. I guess when I play it, sometimes you can't hear the, the, uh, the audio there, but he's just basically doing a, a talk to me commercial. I was like 25 bucks for Gary Holt and I'll do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Someone, uh, someone had a podcast. They wanted me to roast so yeah, I fun nice. of their podcast and nice. something similar like you did.
0: Very cool. Well, very cool. Uh, next album or next album, next song is eyes of a criminal, which I believe would be a great murder podcast. <laughs> title mm,
1: true crime type thing you're doing uh, <laughs> yeah, that's cool I didn't think of it that way um, so that that song I remember playing that uh, uh, one time and Kerry King had come out to see us live and not to keep name-dropping Slayer but they were a big part of our our lives around that at this era but um there were Kerry like commenting on the set and he's very um, matter of fact when he talks to you and uh just like i didn't understand why you're playing that song live and then the ending came in so yeah uh that ending is definitely the highlight of that the huge massive ode to machine head uh <laughs> nice breakdown with yeah the really cool kick drum patterns that are happening and...
0: is that old they just kind of keep slowing it down
1: um or- no is it I'm terrible with names. Yeah,
0: I was listening to that today. I was like, "Man, that the I've got a killer breakdown written down." I mean, yeah, just kind of just keeps slowing down. It's great.
1: Yeah, 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 and yeah, that song's got a sweet ending, man. That's fun to play live, and it always just sounded cool, but. And when you'd hit it and the lights, you know, the strobes would flicker at the same. You felt like Pantera up there doing that shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you catch Slayer Live on their final tour?
1: Uh, on the first leg I did, yeah. Um, came through Blossom Music Center.
0: Someone says it's a thousand lies. Thank you. There we go. It's just just joshing us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that first machine, Head album. I mean, when the fact that when they, the advertisement for the first machine ad album said for fans of Pantera, Sepultura and biohazard, I was like, bring it on.
1: You know? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Same. Uh, overlooked. Song that gets overlooked. I always yeah. forget that that song's on the album. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't really have much to say. There's no story behind that one. It's just kind of there. Um, cool song. I wouldn't say it's like a top-shelf song of ours, but it's definitely not a B-side trash song of ours either. It's got a cool cool uh, bridge from what I remember. Good thrash beat to it. Yeah, um,
0: uh, Betray comes back in to play. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's exactly. a cool, yeah, the like, you know, like you could do a, a good hay with it. You know, it's got the hay. You
1: know? Yep, 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 you know,
0: exactly. It could be a cool, uh, you know, Ride the Lightning Arrow Metallica song with the hay. You know, it's our escape. <laughs> there you go.
1: It's not a bad song, no. But it's not it's not the song you put on first when you throw on Ride the Lightning.
0: No, but it's it's definitely. I wouldn't skip it either when you're playing Ride the Lightning.
1: There you go. That's what I. That's how I think of overlooked.
0: There you go. Uh, and then the last track on the album, which is Implements of Destruction, on this version. I know there's a uh, extended version out, but we're gonna go with the, the original version. So Implements of Destruction. I wrote you got 60 minutes on CD. Let's use the all of it is what this song is.
1: Essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's not really 15 minutes long again, like we were doing, like with pass out, just nonsense to the end. Uh, see if anyone's still listening after all this time. Um, and that was a trick from the nineties, man. You know, CDs did that. Remember like oh, yeah. the first tool album. You're like, this is this, why is this last song? 25 minutes long. It's not really, <laughs> but um, same trick yeah implements was cool i remember writing that on tour with we were on the kitty tour i believe with no one in El nino and i remember writing those main riffs in the basement of the rave in Milwaukee. and i want to say somebody from no one the drummer was it billy he got drunk and like literally went through a wall like plowed himself his whole body through one dressing room into another through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so one of those moments you just don't forget seeing someone.
0: Man, I think we struck, struck a nerve here, man. Everybody's coming in about how the great acoustic intro, missing getting oh, tracks.
1: Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, that 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 whole intro Rob wrote is, is incredible. Uh, we are obviously huge Metallica fans. Um, and that was our moment to try to do our Orion or mainly to live is to die. Um, we were actually playing "To Live Is to Die" a lot when we were on tour with Kitty. When we would sound check, um, we uh, would play the whole thing sometimes. <laughs> so we we three guitars because we, we were using three guitars for the song Jade. So to test all three guitars, we played um, implement. I mean, uh, right.
0: to live is to die. To
1: and when we were writing, when we played Jade live, the bridge of implements was written and we were like working that in. So if you ever saw us on Pass Out and saw us play Jade, the whole bridge live turned into implements. It was like it was some kind of live thing we had, you know, jammed, you know, like we started, became a jam band all of a sudden. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> a couple of miscellaneous things I found, obviously, pure hatred being on an episode of Mythbusters. Uh, what was it? The talk to plants or something like that. The title of it, but basically it was uh, they looked like they set up a bunch of different greenhouses. Some of them were yelling like obscenities at the plants. Some were being nice to the plants. Some had classical music. And then one of them was uh, playing, uh, what was it, pure hatred to the plants. So obviously the connection with Mythbusters continues.
1: Correct. Yeah, exactly. And that. From your last podcast, we talked about recording the split video, and that was in the Mythbusters warehouse. So same connection. And we were fortunate to have our, our song used in an episode. And I believe our song helped the plants grow faster or better. Uh, just so it's like we're like Brondo, you know, we've got electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was that was a huge thing for us. I wanted to say something about Power Trip uh yeah. that, that I thought was really cool and the power of that song um, that I thought of was when we played Dubai for the first time. Oh well wow. okay. um, we had rules that we weren't allowed to use profanity on on stage or use or say any of the profane words in our songs. Kind of strict you're going to jail type shit and uh, so we didn't even put power trip in the set list like what are we gonna do just <laughs> fuck, fuck probably 30 times right so um you just totally decided not to not put it on the set list but so as we're in dubai though all oh, the crowd just keeps chanting chanting it power trip power trip like what the hell like not only they do they know us over here but they're like demanding we play this song for them and they have no idea that we're not not playing it they have no idea that we're censoring ourselves so we don't get in trouble to not play it (laughs) so i'm thinking to myself like how are we gonna pull this off so i'm like wait a minute i don't have to say anything just put the mic out and they can sing the songs let's fuck it let's play power trip so every time there was a fuck in the song i would just put the mic out towards the crowd and you just hear 10,000 kids over in the Middle East screaming fuck at the top of their lungs (laughs) so you really felt like what that meant to them and like that that's one of those things of oh yeah that oppression and that difference in culture and you got to really feel it and the impact just one word has on so many people It's, it's pretty incredible
0: how many shows did you play like that over your career where you had so many different rules and you could do this, but you couldn't do that? Or was that one of the few one? Okay.
1: That was it. The only other thing was Ozfest was had uh, like beyond strict stage times. You're on for 20 minutes, not 20 minutes to three seconds,
0: <laughs> 20
1: minutes, yeah. you're on 20 minutes and three seconds. That stage managers is already throwing your, sh- your, your gear off the stage. Like, that dude was serious. (laughs) Like you're you're getting off when I say you're getting off. Uh, But other than that, no, there weren't any kind of rules like that. I mean, most places we played, we were fortunate that they didn't have any types of South America was a challenge just because you know, you fear, you you fear your life down there for other reasons, just because of the way it is. But
0: were there any other places that you would went that was very, maybe, um, militarized that you know you maybe felt unsafe
1: no just mexico and south america felt unsafe and that's just to be expected
0: no the um and one of the other things we found was uh we like i got this research crack research team um <laughs> the, uh, the the song army of me which was on the uh one of the freddy soundtracks or whatever one of the jason soundtracks um both not a bjork cover i was kind of mad
1: yeah, I was. I, you know, I was. I try real hard to come up with song titles that aren't used. <laughs> and when I do, they're always, song, used. You, know, you always get stuck with something that's like legendary. <laughs> like, damn it, this has to be the title of a Bjork song. Kind um,
0: like whatever hits, too. Ex- exactly.
1: <laughs> you but know, yeah,
0: Hel- Helmet, um, Helmet did a cover of it and it was not good. So you know, I, was I, I didn't know I was that you did, that. A, did a cover. It's
1: weird you mentioned Helmet. I was thinking of this, them this morning. Like, man, it's been a minute since I've listened to Meantime. What a great record that first album is. Like, anyway, I'm going to jam that this week, I think. But um,
0: first two albums are good. First two, two Meantime and Betty. You know, you can't go wrong.
1: And wasn't there an EP? Was the first thing
0: that's what I was saying? You know, you don't, yeah, want to, right, right. you
1: don't want to get too stickler because
0: I'll say, like, the first album, and they've got you know, it's basically like saying, you know, your first album, right? Right, it's passed out of existence. So like, well, actually, no, yeah. actually. <laughs> there was a, a three song demo that no one has,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Army of Me, well, that was another dream come true. We, of course, we talked about this last time, but you have to have B sides and stuff. and the reason for that is back in the day, different territories were, were trying to have something beneficial for their their citizens to own. So if you're in Germany, what? why do you want to buy the German pressing if the American pressing exists? So the Germans might throw on a different song and that helps the German manufacturers and then the, prevents imports and stuff like that. And it kind of keep everyone's economies going in their own way um so army of me was one of the b-sides we liked the song but didn't feel that it was strong enough for the album but uh man what a cool thing that turned out to be because it was on freddy versus jason i'm a huge horror movie fan a lot of people that follow me know that and i just remember going to see the movie in the theater with Jim, Rob was there but he wasn't like a super fan. He, he didn't really know much about the films, but uh Jim, Jim Jim and I were fans and it was crazy like they play play the song over the credits. We actually got to see an early cut of the movie and they they had used the dehumanizing process during their first fight scene and I was like, "Oh my god, no way." But they wound up changing that for some reason to something completely different. But that was almost the case. Like I saw a version of that film cut with Uh, dehumanizing process as the first fight scene what that would have been so sweet but still like that movie's on (laughs) right now on like stars or showtime or something you know you can still access it or maybe hulu has it but it's always on something you know people are are watching it so we still get royalties from that i think i got like three dollars last year there you go Breaking
0: in the cash, <laughs> yeah. I know your love of uh 80s pop culture and things like that, so I wore my rad hell track shirt oh, for, our, for, for our uh, for yeah. our talk here. rad. They just put out on Amazon Prime, and they put out like a 4K version, dude. I heard about that, I gotta check
1: it out. It's been a minute, so uh, I, it, look, I- it
0: looks great. Like, I mean, obviously, I've, I've only had the same VHS copy that I rented as a kid, <laughs> I, I eventually bought as a kid, and uh, yeah, so so yeah, it but the. The version on amazon prime looks awesome i'm uh, gonna yeah, a go. question here if you could have been the singer for any other band who would it have been from the star damien
1: yeah you know i don't really have a preference there i don't i don't want to be the front man like i want <laughs> to for the deftones or something there like, you go give me that job
0: you don't want to be anselmo no <laughs> i'm see then betty do live um I bet the plant listening
1: to Pure Hatred was the toughest. Yeah, that was an indica strain. I'm just
0: kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I love when you and Chris goof off when playing the dehumanizing process live right before the last chorus. So funny.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, we started putting in funny samples in between the, the, there's like this little break and Spakusa started putting in like the the kid rock cowboy sample I'm like the cowboy like, all of a sudden plays over the loudspeaker, just stuff to make us laugh. But yeah, like, that's cool, Heather, that you, that you caught that because, uh, that's one of those intimate moments that us musicians have on stage. We have our little inside jokes during the set and, uh, you know, that we're, we're doing every night to try to crack each other up. And, um, uh, so if you catch us doing that sort of thing, then, uh, that's good on you.
0: I meant to pull this out earlier. And as we kind of wrap this up, I do want to talk about this album cover. Oh, cool. Not much to it. (laughs) How how do you go from this? Right. To that.
1: (laughs) So um, this is, so with pass out, you know, I think we talked about last time it was we had like a buddy that he just knew Photoshop and it was kind of like that cutting edge technology and just went for it. This one was a little more thought out. If you uh, kind of look at old, not old, but they'd be old now, but the DVDs for uh, the Kubrick releases for films like Full Metal Jacket or Clockwork Orange, um, they were just white with like Full Metal Jackets, white with a helmet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just tells you the whole thing, basically, what you're getting into. And I really, really liked that message and the simplicity of it and the cleanliness of it. And um the white you know and everything's like you know metal is all black and dark so just kind of like thinking of things in that in that regard we're from cleveland recording in the snow so that white cold vibe you know was definitely present while we were doing everything um it was actually not real blood but it was fake blood it's a photo um the same guys that worked on Mythbusters and and um our videos split video and Todd Bells and Garrett Zunt worked on this whole thing. I believe Todd Bell took the photo of that. And uh man, a lot of people have gotten that tattooed on them and it really helped. You know, I think logos are a big deal, you know, with it's a universal thing. You know, when you see that the golden arches, you know what that means, just like you and the see. Golden that. Arcs. Yeah, you <laughs> see, <laughs> McDonald's. Um, so when you see that logo, then you know that's us. So that was a great way for us to brand and then to, uh, just kind of have something cool. There was the argument with the label was not having the name wasn't the big deal. It was getting around the parental advisory sticker so we were still in an era where if we we swore a lot you had to have a parental advisory sticker on your album now of course we know that was a badge of honor in in those days like oh cool we're gonna sell an extra ten thousand now thank you um but in this case i thought it would muddy up the artwork like no you can't have this white perfectly stark image with simplicity and then like in the corner have this bullshit so Roadrunner came up with the idea to put a sticker on top of it when you in the shrink wrapping, so it had the band's name, the parental advisory sticker, and we were clear. So that way, we were able to keep just the white, stark album cover.
0: Star Damien says, I want to name my future daughter Chimera, but my wife says no. Any advice?
1: I just name her that anyway. <laughs> it might not say it on the birth certificate, but. What's to prevent you from calling her that? Uh, yeah, and Lewis get a divorce. You know that's another option. <laughs> um, <laughs> I call my you know my dog's name is <clears throat> Cupcake, but I call her shit rat all the time. So I mean, it's yeah, I mean, it works. It's whatever you want to call her? Yeah.
0: Very cool. Uh, back to that that logo though we were talking about. Um, it is kind of on the first album. Am I correct? Like yes,
1: mm-hmm. yes, right is. in the ball.
0: Yeah, I was looking at it again today. So hey, I mean, was that something that uh, had been around for a long time? Was that like an old logo that, you know, or was that well, just- that logo
1: exists, you know, I mean, I think Sepultura had it on the back of Chaos AD. The Chaos <laughs> logo itself exists for a long time. Okay. And that was kind of our spin on it. And Jason Hagar, our original guitarist, uh, designed that. And that was one of the first things, like, when we had our name. So that's been around since 98. Like, if you see some of our older demo- Cassettes and everything. I wish I should have. I don't have any of that stuff near me, unfortunately. But I didn't realize we could like show the audience stuff. But uh <laughs> yeah, we've had we've been using that logo since the beginning.
0: Cool. All right, man. Well, that was uh that was the album, man. Any other any other stories? Or anything else you want to talk about from this album? Anything that you thought of today?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it was fun to look back, though. I mean, not off the top of my head, but it, you're talking now what, 17 years 17 ago? Years. So um, it was, I actually went to the band's Wikipedia page and we went through it and like, oh yeah, that happened. I mean, it's just, it was just a cool era. We got to work with Colin Richardson, so we went over to England to do that. That was crazy. Um, we got to, we went in the middle of fucking nowhere, England, and uh, the hell were we? I couldn't even tell you. Some village they had a pub where when, when me, Jim and Rob would walk in, you know, the record scratch and it stops and everyone's staring at you. Um, but it was such a great time. And we had like a personal chef there. And, but it was not like what you think. It's not like the guy on the show billions. If you watch that, it was more like, we're in the middle of some like village getting porridge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it was still badass and man, getting to work with Colin, like, and he he had mixed some of our favorite records growing up and produced. So it was just really magnificent to get him to look at our stuff and some production nerd stuff I can think of really quick off the top of my head was the kick drum, like getting the kick drum sound. We sampled the tones from um, Fear Factory's Obsolete so we were able to steal the kick from uh, edge crusher like yep. uh, right now <laughs> you can steal the snare and the kick yeah we took their kick we took panteras uh from, from five minutes alone yep. Damn, yeah so you can please. and he had uh the kick drum sample from smashing pumpkins siamese dream and then the, the DM 500, that, that trigger sound, everyone knows. So hmm. our kick drum is like a a blend of all of those combined. Wow. And he, uh, he made just a really badass kick drum sound from that, you know? So a lot of metal fans probably are familiar might or may or may not be familiar with sound replacing. And that's just common in drumming where yes, your drummer's hitting the snare or the kick drum, but you're manipulating the sound after the fact. And you can use any bands' sounds and tones if you have access to them. And in fact, Slipknot used our was it our snare drum uh, from the self-titled that Colin made. A lot of bands used our snare drum. I think I think Machine Head did as well. Whatever Colin mixed after us, that's our snare drum, <laughs> yeah. which nice. is pretty awesome.
0: Well, we've got the star Dam in here please do another interview breaking down another chimera album I so, think for
1: the next if you're gonna do the self-title I really think you should do Rob because okay. uh, that's his, his uh, baby and and he would have way more uh, anecdotes about that than than I would Thank you Heather for listening yeah, thank you, Heather.
0: all right man well that was another uh, another chimera album down and yeah we'll have to reach out to Rob and see if I can't break down the uh, self-titled with him. Yeah, or we'll have to do something else in the future between you know the two of us.
1: That'd be great, man. Yeah, we can arm wrestle online or something. See if we can do a virtual arm wrestling over the top. Or yeah, how would that yeah. work? Oh, there it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but once I I turn this hat back around forwards and it's over with. For oh, the, it'll be over. I know. And, and I might be over in the corner drinking some castor oil. So
1: speaking of great movies on Amazon Prime, get over and watch Over the Top if you're, if you're bored.
0: I watched. Uh, Of the 80s movies, I probably watched that one way more than anyone should.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a tall order, man. Being able to do that more than like five or six times is that's hard.
0: When I mean uh, there's something about that father-son storyline, you know, and and like he's working out in the truck doing his arm, and you know, he and he rips the sleeves off of the school. (laughs) I mean, that's (laughs) a good movie, man.
1: It's a fantastic (laughs) film. We've been watching uh all the old Van Damme movies nice. uh, again. So we just did Bloodsport, kickboxer and cyborg. And, uh, so I'm like to my girlfriend, Lauren, which, you know, how'd you like cyborg? And she's like, I can't take that one serious because Van Damme looks like an elf. So <laughs> like, look at his hair. He's wearing a sequined shirt. I'm like, damn it. I've never noticed that before, but now I can't unsee it.
0: <laughs> do you, do you want to know your, uh, cyborg trivia question? Let's hear it. Do you know what cyborg is? It is supposed to be Masters of the Universe Part Two. two. Yeah,
1: yeah the <laughs> Spider-Man. That's yeah,
0: sad. yeah, they were they were writing <laughs> Masters of the Universe Two. They're like, yeah, no, this is going to be a whole different movie.
1: The set, it, the set pieces, some of the costumes, and that's partly why the costumes are so ridiculous. They were they were going to try to make a Spider-Man movie, and then um, this is when Ca- I think Canon was able to, like, yeah. Marvel was like broke and they were um also uh doing the the he-man stuff so this the set pieces it, it's not even there's no cyborg it wasn't even supposed to be called that it, it was uh I've, what are they called um with an s not striker slither uh damn it i can't think of the word uh, i hate when that happens especially or, from He-Man. Excuse me?
0: From He-Man or what?
1: No, Slinger. That's it. Oh, slinger, okay. So Cyborg was initially supposed to be called Slinger because Van Dam is a Slinger, and a Slinger is somebody that helps get out of a, an area from, from attack. So his job as a Slinger is to help get this Cyborg to Atlanta. That's the point of Cyborg. <laughs> and there's a director's cut called Slither, and it's totally edited differently, and uh, the story has changed. So Van Damme had a big part in editing Cyborg, and and he wanted it to have more action. And man, those movies are so bad, they're so great. I, I can still <laughs> quote them all, and you know, yeah. it's such a great, a fun way to fall asleep. You know, just watch stuff like that. So over the top is definitely. It's been long enough. I can put it back on again. <laughs> it's such a great film. Thank you, Louis, for watching. For I'm <laughs> glad that you have a new fan from the start. There we go
0: and uh, my last thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, have you seen the new Transformers on Netflix with the uh, uh, what is it the uh, war uh, I'm going to get it wrong
1: yeah. I saw the first episode it's great uh, we got to watch the others but um, dude the animation is amazing
0: Yeah, I love that the animation looks so much like the original cartoon but the storyline and everything kind of going on is very adult so I'm yeah. like this is absolutely perfect I think I posted that it blows away the movies so uh, you know, yeah, without a doubt I mean, yeah, I'm I was, to finish it. I was so bummed one of those Michael Bay movies came out, came out. I was just like, oh, the Transformers don't look right. They just everything was wrong about everything. The Bumblebee movie was good. Okay. The rest of that stuff I could do without.
1: I only saw the first one and I left it at that.
0: Yeah, the Bumblebee movie, this the standalone Bumblebee movie, uh, I'll go with, but so yeah. do
1: you need to see the other one? I don't think so. Because Bumblebee?
0: No, I don't think you have to. I think if you've seen the first one you know that he he actually goes back to being a bug in the bumblebee movie so Okay. That's that alone.
1: <laughs> That's sweet.
0: Well, cool man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. As thanks everybody. Thanks for, thanks for, thanks for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for everybody you for have checking the out the best metal singer
1: on your, on your I show. know.
0: Well, I, the, that's what happens when you email singer at AOL.com. You just magically pop up.
1: Yeah, I need to get the coffee mugs made.
0: Yeah. You, what you about
1: know. you guys in the in the podcast watching? Would you buy a world's best metal singer coffee cup with my face on it? Now that's a good question.
0: Uh, there is a little bit of a lag, so it's going to take a second. <laughs> <laughs> Luis has not seen the Bumblebee movie yet. People talking nice things about my podcast. I really uh, Appreciate that. Yeah, these live shows have been fun, man. You're the first uh, rock star to come on. You know, this has normally been other podcasters. How has your uh, YouTube show been going? Have you been doing that at all? The no, movie? I
1: you know I had to stop doing it. I uh, with my cancer, I had a weird time in December with my thyroid meds, okay. and there you I go. Adjusting to them, and I wound up getting like. Not feeling well. It killed all my momentum. Um, I had to get my meds adjusted right. And then there wasn't much coming out in January or February. And then, then the COVID stuff happened. So I was just like, you know what? I'm done. Like
0: Heather S. would buy it. With my time. Metal Moses here. And then absolutely they would buy it. So you get at least three sales. So
1: I'm going to start working on world's best metal singer coffee cups mm-hmm. now. There you go. All right,
0: Mark. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and we will do this again soon, man.
1: Definitely. Thanks for everyone for tuning in and, and always a pleasure chatting with you. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Take it easy.